Welcome everyone, this is To The Well, a podcast from UNC Chapel Hill students about the intersections between faith, reason, and culture. I'm Brody Hegenbotham, I'm one of the editors with To The Well, and I'm here with Hannah Watson, who is an undergraduate junior here at UNC, and she's writing this semester on lots of stuff, um, primarily race reconciliation within the church and the calling that she has felt on her life for bringing reconciliation and fostering reconciliation um, in the ways that she can in the local church. So Hannah, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. It's great to be here, Brody. Thanks. I appreciate you joining us. Um, So would you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, what you study, and what you're interested in? Cool. Um, Yeah. My name, again, is Hannah Watson. Um, I am originally from, well, originally, originally from Chicago, originally from Wichita, Kansas, now living in North Carolina and absolutely loving it here. Um, I am majoring in African-American studies, um, well, African-African-American and diaspora studies with an emphasis on African-American studies. Um, And within that major, my kind of research focus that I formed for myself is um, black religious history. I do a lot of um, primary research on that um, and just the different ways that religious life has shaped Um, black life and how that shapes American culture in general. Um, I'm also a creative writing minor, um, which is absolutely my favorite thing. I am on the um, the poetry composition composition track. Um, poetry is like where my heart is. It's what I love. It's why I study anything else so I can write poems about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that poetry really came through in your article, which I got to read a sneak peek of, um, and I'm really excited for our listeners to be able to read it when the issue comes out, um, and I appreciate you tackling this thing. So this is obviously, based on your major and your studies, um, something that you have thought about a lot, um, and not just racial reconciliation within America, which is a huge topic in and of itself, especially right now at UNC with Silent Sam and all yeah. of it controversies surrounding that, which we can get into later. Um, but specifically, you studied black religious history. Um, and so the struggles that that we are facing as a generation in our racially divided church is something that you are dealing with every day, not just as a black woman Christian, but also in your academic pursuits. Um, so would you speak a little bit about how your, interest, how your interests led you there? Um, and and kind of the interplay between your own identity and your academic interests. Yeah, um, so I growing up in Wichita, Kansas, um, just a very white world. Mm -hmm. Um, Kansas is just extremely segregated. There is this air um, that I think is, it exists in North Carolina, but not to the same extent. Um, Kansans have this idea that there is no racism there because Kansas wasn't a slave state. So um, my educational experience was very much shaped by blatant racism, by pointed acts of racism, by um, institutional racism that was ignored um, when when things would happen, when situations would shape the lives of me and my family members. um, People would often just like act like we were crazy and remove us um, from situations, from areas, from jobs, <laughs> wow. um, which is wild to me. But at the same time, as I was growing up in this white world educationally, um, I also grew up in a very black world um, in church. Um, my family on my dad's side has for a long time been a part of the Church of God in Christ, which is a historically black Pentecostal holiness organization. 
Um, so my dad is a pastor in that organization. All of his uncles and cousins and whatever are too. Some of them are bishops. They're just mm. all about it. Um, church life was very much shaped um, by blackness. So um, in you know some my very formative years, I lived um, in two dichotomous worlds um, in which. Um, I was never quite, I never felt like I was quite enough in either of those wor- worlds. In um, in school, I was too black. Um, I wasn't white enough. Um, and I, that wasn't necessarily a cultural thing because um, I went through many phases where I was scared to express my culture. Um, it was like a skin color thing, um, very, very blatantly. And all of the years and years of undertones of racism that go on with that. And then at church, um, I was seen as too white. I went to school with the white kids, mm-hmm. whereas most of um, most of my peers at church didn't, um, and I just didn't connect um, in that way. So I've seen this. So my life has very much been shaped in black and white. Um, and part of growing up in, um, gosh, I guess the American education system in general, is that history classes are about white history. Um the things that I'm learning in my major right now um, are just as interesting, just as formative um, to the United States and the world, but they're never mentioned. Civil rights in um, my AP US mm-hmm. history textbook was brushed over in a chapter um, where now I'm learning that the civil rights movement really began like in the deep south in the 1920s. And yeah. we think that Rosa Parks was the first one right. um, to not refuse to get off the uh, to get off her seat in the bus. And that's absolutely wild. Um so yeah, as um, as I was preparing for college, I knew that I wanted to study black people, um, to study to study the things about myself that were valuable that nobody else um, had put much value to before in my educational life. So I came into college. Um, as a political science and African-American studies double major um, that changed to public policy and African-American studies and now it's just African-American studies so this is what has um, endured over the years Um, and I don't know it's it's liberating um, to know that there are people um, who care about my history and about my culture. Um, and it's also liberating to know that I have the agency um, to study that and to produce new knowledge um, regarding myself and my people and connected peoples and all of the incredible influences that we've had. Whether or not anybody else cares, I have the agency um, to create new knowledge and um, the platform to make people care, um, which I think is really important. It's part of um, it's part of realizing that we are all made in the image of God. Um, yeah, in order to do that, we have to recognize that God's image is multifaceted and that if we are all made in the image of God, then God looks a lot different than what the majority culture in any given um, any given place looks like in a lot of ways. He looks different than what you think he looks like. Um, so... Yeah, I think I kind of went off on a tangent. I don't know if that quite answered no, the that question. Great. But no, yeah. I, I would love to just let you go off on a tangent. It <laughs> would be the whole podcast. Um, so one, one of the things that you mentioned in your article is growing up with um, with a distaste or um, mistrust of white people. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a, I, like I am a white person, I grew up in a pretty monolithic white community. Mm-hmm. Um, and you... you 
kind of draw your attention in your article to this tendency that people have to trust people like themselves and distrust people who aren't like themselves. Um, and would you elaborate on that a little bit more? Um, and maybe particularly draw some reflection from your time as a, um, African American studies major at UNC. Um, have you found it easier to understand people not like you? Cause you, you talk about, um, the, the beauty of researching and understanding mm-hmm. your people, um, and having space to do that and a platform to do that. Um, but have you found that being able to do that has helped you understand people who, um, are not like you? Hmm. Um, so I think a central part of the article and a central part of my understanding is that, um, doing research and looking for knowledge on my own and, you know, digging into the archives of whatever, um, place or university is not what, um, changed my perspective on white people or on people unlike me in general. Hmm. None of that. In fact, there are moments when I have to draw back, um, and like keep myself from getting unrighteously angry because yeah. I do believe that there is righteous anger wrapped up in there but it has 100% been um, my encounters with the Holy Spirit um, and how he's led and changed my life since I've been in college that have helped to melt away this distrust of white Christians because um, really that comes from um, this dichotomy that I was talking about between the two worlds that I grew up in um, because because the Church of God in Christ is um, a holiness church, um, there are a lot of stipulations that a lot of other churches in America don't adhere to. So these two things were created in my mind. You have the church. Um, The church is black. The church does not drink. Historically, no longer anymore, the church does not um, go to movies or dance with boys. That's they're a lot more lenient now. The Church of God in Christ is going through a process. um, So you like holiness holiness is right holiness is still right you have the church mothers you have um all of these things together and going to a bible belt predominantly white school you have people who are in um young life that's not to like call it the organization but that's like what was going on in my school who are like professing the name of jesus but are also 15 and drinking and partying and doing having sex and doing all of these things that i've been taught are wrong so i was like okay black christian follows bible does good white christian does not follow bible pretends to be christian um and that was like a false thing that i created in my mind to make sense of what was going on in my world um so it wasn't it wasn't until i came to college that um Oh, and I do want to say that, like, you know, there's hope for redemption for everybody and that I sure did a a number of, like, sinful things when I was um, in high school and still do every day. Like, that's not to um, demonize um, the folks that I went to school with necessarily, but, um, yeah, there were just two different worlds that I was seeing. Um, Yeah, so I came to college... um, And my sophomore year, I joined this incredible campus ministry called Every Nation Campus, um, which is really focused on um, recognizing the image of God in people Mm -hmm. from all over the world, bringing the multi-ethnic, cross-cultural, interracial kingdom of God um, that we see in the book of Revelation to earth by loving people from every nation, going to every nation, um, and spreading the gospel. So in that... um, 
I made some really incredible friends um, from many different cultures who loved Jesus deeply, um, including my one of my best friends in the world, Michelle. Um, she's white. She um, thinks she's wonderful, thinks deeply about um, Christ and about race and um, what her role as um, a white South African has to do with mm-hmm. that um, and all those things. So we've had a lot of really incredible conversations, but as I... Um, came to know her more and more at the same time as the Holy Spirit was doing really deep work in my life through, um, yeah, it was doing really deep work in my life. I began to see that like, hey, this Christianity thing doesn't have anything to do with race. That's not to say that God doesn't recognize and value um, culture that comes along with race, but your salvation is not contingent on race. And it wasn't until... I saw, um, it wasn't until I saw that distrust and those fears, um, melting away that I realized they ever existed. Hmm. Um, yeah. So it's been even more liberating than, um, being able to study my own history, um, is knowing people from different places, um, different cultures who love Jesus, um, making them, allowing them to be a central part of my community. And, you know, I think that's where the real change happens in um, intentionally knowing people. Um, You're never going to, um, you're never gonna be changed by um, doing things on the periphery. You really have to dig into it. Um, And that's what happened, not of my own volition, but kind of just where God led me and like set the structures of my life. So, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so, one of the things that you mentioned there was the idea that, um, I mean, in your campus ministry, Every Nation Campus is built on this idea that we are called as disciples of Jesus to go to every nation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned that in your article as the purpose of the church, mm-hmm. um, this kind of cross-cultural global church. Um, and you call that the capital P purpose, mm-hmm. um, whereas individuals have a lowercase p purpose. Would you expound on that a little bit and elaborate for us? Yeah. Um, so in the 27th chapter of Matthew, Jesus has like done the whole thing. He's like died. He's risen again, conquered death, hell, and the grave is lit. Everybody's <laughs> hype. Um, and Jesus comes back and he's hanging out with his boys. And he's like, guys, I'm, I'm not going to, I don't want you guys to be the only ones who know me. Like... I'm kind of for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's your responsibility to go out and make sure that everyone knows me. And I'm um, drawing on Romans 1, um, 20, like God reveals himself to people in a lot of other ways, people who aren't um, able to hear the gospel by word of mouth, but that does not um, negate our purpose that he gave us in Matthew 27 to go out to the nations. Um, first he says, go, I'm like paraphrasing, of course, but sure. first he says like, go to your local area, then go to like your country, then go to the world. And we're called um, to all of those places. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's like, that's the Great Commission. That's what kind of in quotes, Christianese, what everybody says, but we are commissioned. Our purpose is to go out and to spread the gospel, to make sure to know Jesus and to make him known all over the world, starting with right where we live. Um, and so, yeah, that is our purpose. That is like what every single Christian is mm-hmm. supposed to be doing. Um, and that looks different for different people. That's why we have a lowercase p purpose, right. which is how you go about doing that. Um, and for me, um, I think 
discovering your little p purpose is like a lifelong process but I'm starting to see that mine is wrapped up in fostering racial reconciliation in the church um and within that um poetry and writing and things are wrapped up in that too and those are ways that I am trying to go Mm -hmm. to the nations to go to my local church to go to my city, to my country, to my world, um, and let people know what Jesus has done. Like, <laughs> Jesus yeah. did it all. Jesus paid it all, and he is for you, and he is for me. So, yeah. yeah. That's such a beautiful sentiment. And one of the stories from Scripture that you bring up in your article is Peter and Cornelius. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter, this disciple of Jesus, who's a Jew ethnically, um, and Cornelius, a Roman governor or Roman soldier. And um, this kind of revelation that Peter has and this, you know, inner workings of his heart that come to lead him to understand that everyone belongs at this table. Um, and actually I was, I was doing some reading recently and it came to my attention that the first time, um, the apostle Paul ever talks about justification, this idea of being made right with God, Mm -hmm. it's in the context of Jews and Gentiles belong at the same table Mm -hmm. in Galatians chapter two. That's the first mention we get of this righteousness in Christ is that we've all been brought into the family together. Um, and that's such a incredible purpose and, and for the church globally. And then also for yourself, um, you know, with, with your own purpose. So with that dynamic of, um, you know, the church is called as its capital B purpose to make disciples and to spread the gospel, mm-hmm. um, and to bring everyone to the table. And then your purpose focusing on the fostering of racial reconciliation. How do you respond to people who say, yes, that's important. Racial reconciliation is a goal we should have. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a good thing. Um, But it's not my lowercase p purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, and I I need to focus on the things God's put in front of me. And, and, you know, like I support that, but that's not something I need to put effort into. Mm -hmm. How how do you respond to those people? Yeah, um, that's a big question. Um, but I think that there are moments in scripture that tell us um, how to engage with other people's lowercase p purposes too. Um, so I don't think at this moment in my life that it is my personal purpose um, to go out and do foreign missions um, in, I don't know, Dubai. Um, <laughs> sure. um, but I do think that wrapped up in my uppercase P purpose is supporting other people who are doing that and not blocking the purposes in anything that I'm doing Mm -hmm. um, of other people. So you might be called to, um, I don't know, to be a witness in your um, place of employment, to be a a business executive or whatever and be a witness there. Um, And because that is your little P purpose, that doesn't mean that... with that as your little b purpose that doesn't mean that you get to ignore all of the other um operations of what god is doing in order to reconcile himself to the world to himself um because that's that's really what all of this is it's operations of the holy spirit bringing back the fallen world um to right relationship with the father um and i think um there's this great book um, by Howard Thurman, a uh, pretty old short read, highly recommend, um, called Jesus and the Disinherited. Um, and it talks about why black people 
in America like have any business um, following Jesus when um, they have been oppressed, when they have been put down, when they have been um, beaten, raped, enslaved, um, all of these things. Um, why should they accept the white man's religion that was fed to them by the white man? Um, not really, quote unquote, like in a lot of ways, um, people of African descent did come to know Jesus through white people. Um, there's a lot wrapped up in that, but yeah. we'll, <laughs> I'll put yeah. that aside. Um, but yeah, in that book, um, Thurman talks about how Jesus was not some magical mythical man who came into a vacuum and um started teaching to people to make these like timeless statements like all of everything that jesus said is timeless but jesus was also he also entered into a culture jesus was a jew under the oppressive roman Mm -hmm. government which is very comparable um to being um any marginalized group in any oppressive government like the united states um right now so if you're trying to follow Jesus, if you're trying to be like Jesus, um, which I think is also um, something that is a charge of every Christian, um, trying to walk following his footsteps, then you need to take the time um, to sit back and to think about his experience as a member of an oppressed people group um, and the things that he did in order to um, pull people together, um, even when it didn't make sense, even when it wasn't um necessarily uh, it didn't necessarily seem like it would be a beneficial thing to him as a jew in that time it's not always going to be beneficial it's not always going to be easy it is not always going to seem like it is um the thing that you are called to do but to follow jesus you have to be able to identify with him um and see that he went out of his way to foster reconciliation. So in trying to be like him, then this call towards reconciliation is really for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and that may look, that will look different for different people. For me, that looks like trying to like write articles and have speeching, speaking engagements and write poems about this. For you, that might look like going to consciously displacing yourself to mm-hmm. join a worship community um, that is not like yours. That is still fostering reconciliation and still a good step for you to take um, while it looks different for different people. Like racial reconciliation, reconciliation in general is your charge too because again, like the kingdom of God is all about reconciliation in different ways. So yeah. yeah. I, I love that sentiment of observing who Jesus became, you know, when he was incarnated mm-hmm. um, because it's, it's easy to read the New Testament um, and realize how how much Jesus and the Jewish people under Rome were oppressed mm-hmm. and, and how much they were like an underdog of, yeah. of a people group. And then you turn to the Old Testament and you read about, you know, I mean, there's instructions in Leviticus about when Jews buy slaves, mm-hmm. here's how you treat them. And, and so clearly this is a people group that themselves were caught up in this cycle of oppression, you know, and so Jesus comes right in the middle of that, you know, in in a people that has historically oppressed other people and that is going to be oppressed, you know, and is currently oppressed. And I think that whether currently in America, whether I am someone who is at the table, not letting others in, or who is rejected from the table, Mm -hmm. um, there's Jesus for me. Yeah. Because... He came in this really complicated time in history and this really complicated people group um, who 
experienced both sides of this. Um, and I think it's, it's easy to say that sometime or another in history, people in power or out of power are going to experience different sides of this cycle. One of the things that you expound on in your article, um, and I'm just going to use your words for it because they're better than any <laughs> I could think of, um, is the formation of implicit biases against groups unlike ourselves is a common sin. Gun-wielding Middle Eastern men crash across your television screen. Nameless black custodians swab your school. Corrupt white politicians plaster the newspaper. So, um, and this goes back a little bit to what we were talking about earlier, and is that um, when you are embedded in a culture like we all are, mm-hmm. you're taught to think, I mean, sometimes even in faith circles, you're taught to think that people unlike you are also unlike God mm-hmm. and are also not in God's image. And one of the, you have this line in your article, um, this should really just be in the poetry section <laughs> of, our, of our journal. Um, you say that when, when we do this to people, they turn into images and rather, rather than the image of God. Um, and that was just such a profound line, I thought. Um, and so w- would you share your thoughts um, with us about these, these patterns that humans tend to do um, of, like, de-image of God-ifying people mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and turning them into just hollow images um, and kind of how you think that, well, like what you think the gospel solution is that is for that. Yeah, um, listeners, you can't see this, but I am tearing up right now uh, because um, it breaks my heart to know that there are so many people who don't know that they look like God, mm-hmm. that pieces of them um, are like God, that they are made in his likeness and therefore they are beautiful and they are valuable. And it it breaks my heart um, to recount the moments um, recent and um, in distant memory when I didn't feel that I was made in the image of God. Um, and that is, that is a deep, deep, deep sin. Um, yeah, I don't believe that there are necessary necessarily levels to sin lying will send you to hell just like not seeing people um as made in the image of god it's 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 all the same in the judgment in the end but um this is a deep one because it is it is looking your creator in the face and telling him that from my point of view as a humble creation this other creation you've made is not good um, even though you said that we were very good in Genesis, this one you messed up here. It's not good. Um, it's not like me. Um, and it is it is making God in your image instead of wow. seeing others as made in his. Um, God must look like me because I sit high on the throne because my point of view is what controls the world because I am the one who makes the decisions that hold the universe, the cosmos in balance. Um, it's deep. And a lot of us have engaged in it. Most all of us have engaged in it, I venture to say. Um, and yeah, it's it's a sin that, um, that so deeply pervades our culture um, that that it's really difficult to overcome. I mean, I think in some ways it's, I don't know, the first thing that comes to my mind is like gossip. It is such a, such a deep part of our culture that like most Christians don't even notice when they're doing it. And it's like a big thing when you tell a Christian that they are gossiping, they're like, I would never. And you're like, you just did. <laughs> um, but it, it's the same kind of thing. Like it's, 
it's hard to overcome and a lot of times we don't even realize that we need to overcome it most people who are listening right now myself speaking right now there are probably a thousand ways um that i have failed to see somebody in the image of god um in the past week (laughs) um that i don't even know about but this is this is where the holy spirit comes in um jesus promised us um, that he would send his spirit, this this same, I talk about this a little bit in the article, but like this same spirit that um, hovered over the face of the waters, this same spirit that has guided people um, since the beginning of time is here with us now, um, living inside us. It is um, like, I guess it is one of the iterations of God's presence um, on earth that is living inside us and we, inside of us as redeemed um, people and we have to fully welcome him in to transform us in whatever ways we want because um, he speaks the mind of the Father. Um, God sits high and looks low. Um, he sees all of these things that you're doing. He sees everything that's going on in your, on in your heart, um, even when you don't. And when you open yourself up to allow the Holy Spirit to work in whatever ways he wants to, even if it's something that your denomination or your church is not familiar with, um, whatever ways he wants to, um, then I think that you'll be able to see a change happen. Mm. But the working of the power of the Holy Spirit is wrapped up with your willingness to humble yourself and recognize um, that there have been mistakes made in this area. Um, that you have contributed to them. I'm not saying that you need to apologize for slavery, that white people need to like apologize to every black person for slavery, but you do need to go to the Savior and repent for how you've contributed to perpetuating these systems and for allowing the church, which is supposed to be a glimpse of the kingdom of God, um, to perpetuate these systems as well. Um, And I believe that goes for everybody. I think this repentance looks different and involves different sins for people from different cultural backgrounds, but, um, and there are different degrees to it as well. (laughs) Um, But repentance is repentance and it's for all of us. Um, Yeah, so I guess I'll just say that like, this requires, I would encourage everybody who's listening, everybody who um, in the least feels moved by anything that I'm saying, um, side note, that's the Holy Spirit that's stirring you if you feel moved, um, to ask God um, to reveal the Holy Spirit to you in and how he works in a new way um, or maybe to expand the old way, expand what you know, I don't know, but just mm-hmm. ask God to do whatever he wants to do in this, in your heart. Um, And I believe that he'll be faithful to answer that prayer um, if you exemplify your desire. Wow. I love that a conversation about reconciliation of race in the church becomes a conversation about how to listen to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, And I think that is so crucial. And I've I've thought recently about, um, about why... So... A little bit of context um, on our campus. There, this question of racial reconciliation, not in the church per se, but in America, has been a huge one because we have this Confederate monument mm-hmm. um, that was dedicated under really terrible pretenses, yeah. um, and and carries a ton of different meanings to a ton of different people, and um, we are constantly arguing about what this thing means and what it should be. Um, 
And what I've, what I think I've noticed is that so many people on one side or another of the issue feel like they have to defend who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it took me a long time. So I, I never really had much sympathy for the white people on the, the more conservative side of the aisle of this issue arguing for Confederate monuments. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really hard for me to understand why that was important um, until I started to really dig deep into what it means to be a Southern white person mm-hmm. um, because a lot of their existence and identity is wrapped up in their land and the generations that have worked the land before mm-hmm. um, and in the system that enslaved people to work that land. And, and, and so when questions of racial reconciliation and questions of progress when it comes to racial reconciliation, when those questions come up, I think that a lot of people, white people in particular in the South, um, tend to feel like they need to defend their families and defend who they are Mm -hmm. and feel like their identities are being called into question um, in the same way that perhaps black people feel like their identities are being called into question when we celebrate, you know, Confederate soldiers. Um, And so this is incredibly complex questions about whose identity is valid Um, And I think that it it just turns into riots and violence and because we will fight for our identities um, and we're going about this all wrong because it's it's your identity is supposed to be driven by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And that's so hard when we're dealing with such deep cultural issues. Um, And so I I love that in in this conversation, you direct all the attention towards the Holy Spirit um, because if we're ever going to make any progress in sorting out our identities and, and what it means not just to be Christian, but to be black, to be white, mm-hmm. um, to be an American, whatever else, um, we need to start with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, and there was one last question that um, I wanted to hear your thoughts on. So when we think about this purpose of the church mm-hmm. um, to advance the gospel, to make disciples, to bring people to um, the fellowship of, of the kingdom. Um, what do you think is the key to sharing the gospel across cultural boundaries um, that doesn't, and racial boundaries, of course, that doesn't turn into a savior complex? Um, and that, that's language that I think is common around UNC. It's probably yeah. common elsewhere, but um, the, we talk a lot about a white savior complex. Um, you know, in, in a lot of the like imperialism of the um, 18th and 19th centuries were, mm-hmm. were wrapped up in we're going to, our, you know, British people were going to go to India because um, they need propriety and they need, you know, proper living. Right. Um, but it was really exploitation and conquering. Um, and so I think that missionaries um, historically, hundreds of years ago, sometimes had that same mindset is we're going to, we white people are going to go to the brown people and tell them how to be better people. Um, and that's not, that's not gospel, you know? Um, so, so what do you think is the answer to that? The way to avoid the savior complex is to be saved. Hmm. Um, that starts with recognizing, um, that you are, that I am a broken sinner that I have intentionally severed my relationship with God on countless occasions and that I have been saved only by 
um, the work of the Holy Spirit, the blood of Jesus Christ, who humbled himself, lived the life that I should have lived, died the death that I should have died so that I could be reconciled to the Father. The first step is to be saved by God. Wow. Um, and to let the weightiness of that wash over you every single day. Never to forget um, just how heavy the cross was. Um, never to forget um, everything that's wrapped up in that for you personally. Um, to remember that um, God didn't send his son just to reconcile you to him. He also sent his son to reconcile us to each other. Um, yeah, and I think being saved um, also looks like allowing yourself to be served by a community before you serve them, hmm. which is interesting and has to be like intentionally considered. Um, but I will um, elaborate on that through examples from my life. Um, this past summer, I um, did an internship with this band called Urban Doxology. Everybody look them up on Spotify. It's lit. <laughs> um, they're a worship band um, based in Richmond, Virginia. Um, and this was a songwriting internship focused on writing the soundtrack of reconciliation for this gentrifying neighborhood called Church Hill. Um, and part of that internship was living in living in this community um, in a way that we couldn't rely on ourselves or our resources. Um, so I was in Richmond for the summer, um, living with a with a family who um, who I might not have initially thought like was going to have the resources or the ability um to serve me if it were like a normal situation i would have like my gears would have been turning about how i can give to them and like pour out my resources to them but um i was living in their home i was eating with them i was shopping with them i was i was doing life with them um and they call this idea conscious displacement um putting your i think i i mentioned this before but putting yourself um, on purpose in a place where you're not taking the lead, where you need other people who are already in that community so that you can start to understand where they come from and see them, um, see the people that you want to serve eventually or better yet, that you want to partner with for the bettering of both of your lives eventually as people who have resources already that you need. Um, and you have to be careful that you don't like go into a situation trying to like exploit people uh, if they like don't have a lot of resources. But I promise you, if you do something like that before going on um, a foreign or domestic mission somewhere that you've never been before, um, just trying to give of what you have, you'll realize that like they have something to offer too. Mm. Um, and as a baseline, just because people are humans, just because they're made in the image of God, they deserve a seat at the table. But even if you don't get that far and you can only say that people with resources or people who can give something or produce something deserve a seat at the table, there you'll see in pretty much everybody that they deserve a seat at the table because of that. Wow. Um, yeah, so that was like really huge for me, breaking down um, implicit biases that I didn't know that I had that um, equipped me to um, not to not to serve but to partner with a servant's heart um i think that's that's important and i think um the language that we use to describe um opportunities to, um for reconciliation um and opportunities for just like edifying the people and the communities in the world around us um is really important like 
we need to partner with people recognizing that they have resources too, that they can help mm-hmm. too, that they um, that they might need some of our resources paired together um, to make things work. Um, and don't get me wrong, I don't want somebody to take what I'm saying and say, oh, she said bootstraps. That's not what I'm <laughs> saying. Some people don't have bootstraps. All they have is like, I don't know, the soles of shoes. But they have something that mm-hmm. might need something else that you have to partner and bring it all together um, and bring um, a clearer view of the kingdom of heaven. Because, I mean, that's what this is all about. Um, we're in um, the now and not yet. We're in a time mm-hmm. where we see um, little pieces of what um, life is going to look like when Jesus returns triumphantly. Um but we don't see it all. Um, so it's all about just bringing more little glimpses of that because in every glimpse, there's more hope um, of seeing the entirety of the glory of God one day. So, Wow, yeah. that is awesome. So be saved and have the Holy Spirit yeah. and everything will be okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, at least um, if nothing else in the grand scheme of eternity, be saved and have the Holy Spirit, and which are tied together yeah. and everything will be okay. Yeah, that is wonderful. Um, before we close, I would love if you would read this last paragraph of your article. Yeah. Because um, I loved it, and I would really love our listeners to hear it before the copy editors come in and slash it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, so it reads, Jesus promised that the same Holy Spirit who hovered over the waters in creation would come and stay with us forever. The same Holy Spirit fell on the 11 remaining disciples and through them performed miracles and pointed unbelievers to Christ. This same Holy Spirit is drowning my distrust of white Christians and gives me the power to go and make disciples of people of every class, creed, and color. And that power manifests in diverse ways. Some days, he pulls me to my knees and wades with me through rivers of repentance and prayer. Other days, He uses my lips to prophesy the Father's specific instructions over present and future situations. And many early weekday mornings, he gives me the strength to sip a cup of coffee at the North Carolina Study Center, no matter how unwelcome my black skin makes me feel there. This is the same Holy Spirit who longs to help you engage in bringing the multi-ethnic, interracial, cross-cultural kingdom of God that we see in the book of Revelation to earth. And I pray that whatever it looks like, whatever we have to sacrifice, he will continue to come. Wow. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you for joining us today. Um, And uh, listeners, be sure to stay tuned to future episodes of the podcast and be sure to catch um, Hannah's article when it comes out in our issue next semester. Also, one of the issues that Hannah mentioned was um, gentrification in neighborhoods. And we are going to have a future episode of the podcast with Um, one of the writers for this semester writing specifically on that issue. So if you're interested in that, do stay tuned. Thanks.